Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, it's been a day since we last recorded. (laughs) Yeah, we recorded our uh, Paper Mario bonus yesterday, Paper Mario for the Nintendo 64, the original Paper Mario with our friend and producer AJ, which was uh, a blast. It was really fun. Yeah, it was great. That should come out at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm really excited to to have that out. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a good time. I, I will spoil this. I feel like the thesis statement of that episode is you and I are really excited to play the thousand year door for the Nintendo <laughs> GameCube, um, which I'll be honest, I started playing a little bit yesterday. And guess what? It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a bit of a cliffhanger energy to that bonus. Then. Yeah, that's a new type of bonus for us. Just a big ad for another game for a different video. game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very silly, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be deep in the world of Paper Mario now. So I, I'm playing Thousand Year Door a little bit. I've also been playing a little bit of Paper Jam also, which is the 3DS one that I feel like is much maligned, I would say. Um, yeah. People didn't like it very much. And then after the, so I, I looked this up yesterday, actually, just like out of curiosity after recording our bonus, but Paper Jam comes out is this blend of the Mario and Luigi franchise and Paper Mario. People didn't like it very much, which I find very interesting because I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it so far. I'm wondering like if there's going to be a like steep quality drop off or something. Yeah. But didn't review very well, didn't sell very well. And then that developer uh, at Nintendo went on to go do the remakes of Superstar Saga and Inside Story for 3DS instead of making new games. And those both didn't sell well. And then that development studio shut down. Uh, that's so sad. It's such a bummer that that was like... That, that was the trajectory was just like remaking games instead of like trying to fix it and make new ones. I feel like it, there's almost like a Fire Emblem energy there where like they could have done the awakening, you know, and like yeah, revitalized right. it. But now we just have nothing. <laughs> Very sad. Yeah. I wonder if the, I mean, I feel like the influence of that series has definitely trickled out into the like indie realm. You know, there are a lot yeah. of people that have been like inspired by those games. But I think like from Nintendo, I don't I don't know if they'll ever like reignite that series, which is very sad. Imagine getting rid of the Mario and Luigi series as Nintendo. Yeah, how just, wild. Like, just knowing nothing else. Uh, <laughs> just that sentence makes no sense. But here we are. But anyway, uh, talking about Paper Mario was really fun. We had a really good time. But that's not why we're here to discuss video games today. We're talking about different no, no, no. video games. Steven, dear listener, I've been playing a bunch of new ones. I think today's going to be a kind of interesting episode just because there's like a huge stack. We just have like a lot of stuff to talk about. So uh, it's possible that some of this stuff might come up again. Some of this stuff is already coming up again. There's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of different takes going on. Yeah, my energy is really weird today in terms of chronology, because I feel like, you know, we as a as a show and as a brand, we've established (laughs) that we are not beholden to new stuff. Obviously, like when there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming out, we'll cover it. We're not going to turn a blind eye to Elden Ring the month that comes out, you know, but we're also like, oh, like if our inspiration or, or attention goes to an older game, like we'll talk about that in the same episode. But my timeline here makes no sense. There's like It's just like a game from two years ago and a game from 2015. But I, I love that. I love keeping myself on my toes in terms of game release. I just love walking on my toes. Yeah, I love tiptoeing around time. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, title acquired. 
All right. There it is. Look, I'm just going to go into the stuff that I've been playing this week. Uh, the new stuff that I've been playing this week. I wanted to start with a game that I made a video about on our YouTube. Uh, I woke up like really early one morning and saw on Twitter that this game was out and was like, all right, I guess I'll play this, you know, without even like being fully conscious and started recording a video. And it took, I would say, about 10 minutes of actually playing it to recognize that I was awake and what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> and then I realized how horrifying it was. And that game is called Kirby's Dream Buffet, a new game from Nintendo for the switch which i would very simply describe as kirby's dream course meets fall guys it is not a free-to-play game so it is not you know you can't like fall guys now which is now free to play you can't just go download it and play it which is a little bit of a bummer i feel like maybe it should have been free to play but that would also mean to be monetized in like a really probably horrifying way if i were to guess yeah but kirby's dream buffet i think it's like 20 bucks and the way it works is you play as kirby online against other people also playing as kirby and you need to roll around, like in Kirby's Dream Course, you need to roll around an obstacle course, very much like Fall Guys, and pick up as many berries and strawberries and blueberries as you possibly can on your way to the finish line, which has a big cake that you need to eat. So you need to eat all this stuff on the way down. It's a little bit like a Katamari Damacy in a way. Yeah. Where yeah, like the more you eat, the bigger you get and the slower you're rolling. So you need to kind of like manage this back and forth of like... <laughs> How much am I eating? Because the amount of berries that you've eaten by the end of the game is actually the thing that marks if you're the winner or not. So, like, can I be eating all of this stuff and also be going fast enough to win is a little bit of like a give and take. In between races, there are also kind of like Fall Guys, different obstacle courses and different kind of like battle royale modes that they add here and there. So, like, I did one where um, you're in this kind of like circular arena and a bunch of teacups start falling from the sky. And whenever a teacup falls from the sky, if you jump in it, a bunch of berries will fall from the sky into that teacup and whoever's in the cup it could be all four of you will pick up some of the berries and just who can get the most berries etc there are also like mario kart-esque items you know that give kirby his like uh normal i guess like kirby powers so like you can turn into the wheel you can turn into the fireball things like that that's awesome and use that to like knock your opponents off the course or knock berries out of them, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a uh, mini game that you can sometimes get here and there that is literally just like a battle arena and you just like show up as Kirby and you just need to fight. And that's the whole game. It's just doing that over and over again. It's just like, what if Fall Guys but Kirby? Which a part of me is like a little bit bummed out by that, I would say, you know, like going after this, you know, huge hit by an indie publisher and being like, no, 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 we as Nintendo are just going to shove our IP in that is a little <laughs> bit gross. But I think it's a different enough game that I, I, I think they kind of serve two different audiences. Like I would never be playing Kirby's Dream Course. Sorry, Kirby's Dream Buffet. I keep getting them mixed up instead of Fall Guys. That's true. Also, Epic owns Fall Guys now. So. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. But that having been said, I, I think I think they serve kind of different audiences in a way i think they're going after different things um i do appreciate the progression in kirby's dream buffet like when you unlock enough stuff like if you win enough uh you start to get kind of like fall guys like different outfits and stuff that your kirby can wear which is really fun and kind of like customize your kirby i played more of this than i would have expected like i did that video i think it's like 30 minutes long and then i probably played like another hour or two after that and it's like it's honestly really fun the skill curve is wildly difficult is what i found like yeah, there's a lot of things to consider even just from yes. that brief pitch like there's like eight moving parts <laughs> yeah there's a lot going on yeah. and i don't think the game like super explains itself very well like you really just need to throw yourself into it i was kind of surprised 
surprised even when I was making the video, like jumping into the main menu and it's like, all right, go for it. And I'm like, what is it? I don't know what it is. I've only seen like a cinematic trailer two months ago because <laughs> I announced this game and then it came out immediately. Yeah. Total non sequitur. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really didn't know what it was or how to play it. I had just heard the like, it's kind of like Fall Guys pitch. And that was all I knew going in. But I will. I think it's pretty fun. Uh, and it's like not wildly expensive. I, th- I just think it's going to live or die based on like, is Nintendo going to keep updating this? Which it feels like they probably should because it almost feels like it's trying to be a live service game. But again, it's like pay to play. So I don't know if they're going to continue doing that. Uh, And aside from that, I also just think like if it wants to compete with Fall Guys, then it, it kind of needs to have like a really active player base. And the way to do that is to continue updating it. Um, because yeah. I feel like it, this could be a thing where it so quickly loses its entire player base very quickly because even the idea that you need to spend $20 to get in on it makes it feel like it's a little bit removed from like uh, accessibility to everybody monetarily speaking, you know, which is like, I I don't think I've ever <laughs> that I can think of come on this show and been like, I want this to be like a monetized free to play thing. But I feel like that <laughs> would be the best thing for this game in a way. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's so funny. I actually, I played Fall Guys again recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. We both played it like right when it came out, like everybody, and it was a blast. And then there wasn't ever like a unceremonious breakup or something. I just sort of moved on. <laughs> like I actually never, I've still not played Among Us, which is kind of miraculous. Uh, but I feel like Me either. Among Us kind of took the place of like the party game, you know, at that time. Because that was also mm-hmm. like, that was still in the thick of, uh, obviously COVID is ongoing, but that was in the thick of quarantine still. So, like, I feel like Fall Guys was this, like, well-needed source of, like, very silly and and approachable party game for everybody Mm -hmm. um, that kind of matched the spirit of the season. So, playing it again, um, one thing that's kind of a bummer is, like, post-Epic acquiring Fall Guys, the monetization is a little worse, like... The game was pretty, I would say, like player friendly in that regard. Like you you would earn costumes kind of by playing and like yeah. you really only would need to pay if you like wanted the battle pass or whatever. Like I always feel uncomfortable talking about that stuff because like we're so numb to it at this point that like my barrier of like acceptability in a free to play game is still like pretty bad. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I should always expect better of the game than what i would consider like this is not atrocious you know for me like pokemon unite is actively bad something like fall guys (laughs) is like whatever and even now it's fine but you do see more like it's much harder to get outfits and stuff if you're not actually spending money but that being said the game is still a lot of fun i mean it's actually great to play now if like me you played it on launch and then took a long break it's free to play now which is cool it's also on switch now i believe it's on switch and there's so much more variety now which Mm. i think was the big thing at launch is like everyone played it to death because we couldn't go outside and there were eight levels you know so at a certain point you kind of ran out of enthusiasm for it. But now there's like so many levels and I don't know when they added this. This could have been earlier and maybe I forgot or didn't experience it, but um, they added a thing called squad mode that really is a night and day difference. Cause when I would play this with friends, there would usually be a moment where like one of us didn't qualify. So we mm-hmm. would all quit a match and then start over yeah. in squad mode. It's like you act as a team. So as long as your team averages a certain amount, you'll all qualify the next oh, round. That's really smart. 
Yeah, so it just makes it way more fun and it allows for a little bit of like, you know, you might have someone who's newer to the game or someone who's just not doing well. I mean, the game is about not doing well. So even someone who is like mathematically, you know, dissected Fall Guys, it's about falling down and not making it. So, yeah. you know, like, but regardless, <laughs> I think squad mode like really makes it easier to get a group and play this game without having to like restart or, you know, because th- that just leads to a bad social scenario where someone feels bad that they're dragging the team down and then you have to restart or like they just watch for the rest of the tournament so i think squad mode is like a really great addition that that makes it easier to revisit yeah i'd be curious to check that out yeah i haven't i haven't played fall guys really since around when it came out uh the closest i've gotten now is kirby's dream buffet Uh, (laughs) but that is interesting about the monetization i imagine it's closer to what fortnite is doing right where like there's a bunch of there's like the battle pass and then also there's like the fomo of not being able to buy a costume fast enough with real money If you did buy the game, though, you get a bunch of free outfits. So if you're like, I really want my fall guy to be the main character from Assassin's Creed. You got it. You got it for free. Oh, thank God. Yeah. I don't know if the 2B outfit is is for free. (laughs) God, I forgot about that. (laughs) The cursed 2B. One of my favorite tweets was like when they revealed that there was a near Automata outfit in Fall Guys. Someone was like, Yoko Taro is like immediately going to make this canon somehow (laughs) in in the near universe. But uh. Yeah, it, it was really fun to revisit. And I think like this is kind of back to your point of like we don't want nightmare monetization, but there are some games that just benefit from being free to play. And Fall Guys is definitely one of them. I will. Uh, I, th- this will not be the Fortnite segment, to be clear, uh, but I will. <laughs> the jump scare. Yeah. yeah, I will give a shout out to uh, Errant Signal on YouTube has a really great video about the monetization of Fortnite specifically and how he got like more and more into Fortnite during quarantine, um, but also started to reckon with the way that it was monetized and like how it's kind of sad that that's like the good one right right yeah that's one of the less malicious ones yeah yeah it is i would say it's like the least malicious one and it's still like pretty rough in a way there's like got to be a better way it's a really interesting video i'll I'll link to it in the show notes uh i I think it's super worth watching it tackles a lot of stuff not just that but uh anyway as a person who's been playing a lot of Fortnite recently i've been thinking about it a lot especially considering the like dragon ball z stuff they added recently which i'm like all about but (laughs) that having been said kirby's dream buffet is available for the nintendo switch uh if you ever thought while playing fall guys i wish this was kirby uh this game is for you i do appreciate that kirby like kirby in the forgotten land feels so clearly like kirby's back kirby's figured it out for the Mm. for the mainline series but nintendo still treats kirby like a sketchbook where it's like what about this and like (laughs) kirby's just in it So I'm glad they're still making like weird spin-off games with Kirby in them. I don't I don't know. I don't know. He's made a yarn. I don't know. <laughs> He's farming. I have a meeting in 14 minutes. I've got to do something. I don't know. He's made a yarn. It feels like that. Yeah. It definitely feels like that. Kirby's like permanently B team, but the star of B team. What if he couldn't eat everything? What if he could only eat a certain amount of berries? <laughs> <laughs> It's just about berry management. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He can eat whatever, but, but when it comes to berries, I don't know. He just can't do it. He just can't. <laughs> it's like a bird eating rice. I don't know. <laughs> he gets a splinter and you have to get it out. That's it. <laughs> it's operation was Kirby. Yeah. Oh, actually. You got a whole universe in there. You're onto something. Anyway, yeah. uh, that game is available. Another game that I have been playing on the PlayStation 5, uh, similarly to Kirby's Dream Buffet being Fall Guys but Kirby. If you ever thought Tony Hawk but with guns, uh, <laughs> can I interest you in Rollerdrome, a new game by Roll7 Studios, who, weirdly enough, put out a game earlier this year that I've talked about on the show called Ali Ali World. Oh, yeah. 
That was a great game. Yeah, yeah. It was a great game. And I was amazed to find that they also made this one. That game is like spectacular. Still getting updates. Really good. Highly recommended. Also on Switch. I, I can't speak highly enough of Ali Ali World. It feels like kind of one of those like perfect culminations of what a studio was trying to achieve for a long time. Like Ali Ali was pretty good. Ali Ali 2 was also pretty good. Uh, I thought they were great when they came out, but didn't realize they were only pretty good until Ali Ali World came out because that game is like really taking it to his logical conclusion, I think mechanically. Interesting. Interestingly enough, Roller Drome is like kind of a left turn in a way, but also feels like it's playing to the studio strengths a little bit. So the whole conceit is that it's like a retro future, I would say like 70s-ish retro future energy. It almost feels like it could have been like a B sci-fi movie yeah. in a way that is like, I don't know, starring Sigourney Weaver and maybe also Arnold <laughs> Schwarzenegger. But the whole energy of this game is that you are in a roller rink. It's kind of like roller derby adjacent and you roll around these tracks and do tricks like in Tony Hawk. So you're like grinding, you're doing grabs, you're doing flips, all that kind of stuff. But you also have an arsenal of weapons and there are people trying to kill you in the arena. Uh, So the whole game is about how to essentially just wipe out everybody in the arena as quickly as possible and as stylishly as possible. Um, (laughs) And just like rack up as many points as you possibly can because you are competing against other Rollerdrome superstars uh, simultaneously who are also getting their own scores and things. And... I, this game, I think, is weirdly similar to the first Ali Ali in that I think it's a little bit too difficult for what it is. Like, I, yeah, right when you get started, I think this game is like wildly challenging because the controls are a little bit obtuse in the way that Ali Ali was. Um, yeah. Just to explain what I mean by that, Ali Ali, that first game, anytime you wanted to land a trick, you needed to press down on the analog stick, which was really hard. Like if you've come from even like Skate or Tony Hawk, obviously being a more arcadey thing, needing to think about landing in that way was really difficult. And when you're already doing like all of these wild tricks, because essentially the tricks in that game involved like kind of like Street Fighter fighting moves in a way. So like you'd need to do like a quarter turn counterclockwise on the right analog stick while doing like a quarter turn clockwise on the left analog stick and press X and then triangle and then down on the analog stick to land and the trick like there's a lot to manage there eventually you get into a flow state but Ali Ali world kind of took a lot of that away and just kind of allowed you to like enjoy it which was really nice roller drone doesn't quite do that they do have the wonderful uh tweak of uh you can never fall down which is really good like you oh, can never wow. fuck up a trick so like you are always going to land whatever trick you're doing because you already have so much to manage alongside that so you need to constantly while in these arenas you need to be thinking about the enemy placement you need to be thinking about how much ammo you have you need to do tricks to reload if you run out of ammo which is pretty wild and then certain enemies will really only be affected by certain weapons that you have in your arsenal so you also need to be switching weapons on the fly there are enemies obviously constantly shooting at you with like sniper rifles and rockets or coming at you with a bat if you get too close to them. Uh, So there's also a dodge button in here that if you dodge, like do a perfect dodge, time will slow down and then you can like shoot them while you're dodging them, things like that. It's just a lot to manage, I think. Yeah. But that having been said, I have been playing this game like a lot, a lot, a lot over the past week. 
And it does feel to me a little bit like how I usually describe Guitar Hero to people, where it's like when I first started playing Guitar Hero, when anyone first starts playing Guitar Hero, it's like kind of hard to wrap your head around, especially if you've never played guitar. But I had by the time that game came out. But that having been said, you feel yourself getting better at Guitar Hero the more you play it. Like if you really like have it in your own house and you devote a lot of time to playing it and you like enjoy playing it, you'll get really good at it. This game, I can feel my own skill progression. Like I can feel when I go back to earlier levels to try and wipe out challenges because it is very Tony Hawk like one and two in that way where like each level is about completing challenges it's like oh collect all of these orbs in the level or you know do a 900 while sniping somebody in the face or whatever like they have all these challenges that you need to wipe out to move on to the next level I can feel myself when going back to earlier levels feeling more competent at the controls and more competent at the style of play that they want me to have the more time I invest in it which I think is both a blessing and a curse because this game is like a one hour free trial if you have the new version of PlayStation Plus. And yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. I don't know if that first hour is going to be enough for you to play it and be like, oh, I get this. This is sick because I feel like it took me maybe two or three hours to really click with it and be like, oh, I'm actually having fun now. This isn't just frustrating anymore. Yeah. Um, that does go a little bit hand in hand with the fact that I've been trying to make a video about this for our YouTube for like literally all week. I have like five scrapped versions of this video where it's me being like, OK, and then you hold square to do a trick <laughs> and uh, you can do a front flip and then getting sniped in midair and dying while like trying to explain it so is it against other human players or uh like is it pve like oh yeah it's it's all single player it's just like a single player story oh okay gotcha um it's it's really just like tony hawk but with guns and villains (laughs) that's really like it's so interesting yeah it is it is fascinating i think it's really it's really competent i mean it looks absolutely beautiful um it it has very much that like kind of um that hard inked lines look that sable has not quite cell shaded um but like it just go look at sable and look at roller drum and you'll know what i mean the music is awesome i think like once you finally wrap your head around how the controls work and get enough weapons that you feel like you have more choice and agency you're gonna be like oh i'm actually expressing myself creatively through this game and i think that's that's when it gets really really captivating and really cool and that's when you're like oh i want to go do that level again i want to do that level again i'm actually at the point where i've like unlocked more story stuff and have not progressed because i'm so in the mode of like i love this and i just want to clear out all the challenges in the first four levels before i move on to the next story beat which you know is i think exactly where they want me to be with this game but it does take a much longer longer time to get to that point than you think i saw i think it was skill up on youtube described this game as kind of like tony hawk meets doom like the most recent doom series yeah in that it asks you to like push yourself forward in combat like to to never hide to always be aggressive and i think that's really i think that's a really smart way of looking at it because i found that early on i was trying to mitigate getting attacked that always came at the cost of me like ignoring another enemy or like spending so much time in a level that like i kind of just left myself open you know the longer you spend in a level the more chances to die you're giving yourself essentially so pushing through as quickly as you possibly can is usually the move i haven't played the 2016 doom which has been a my backlog for forever i might save that for october Mm. um but i did play doom eternal when it came out which i really liked i i kind of felt mixed on some aspects because like i liked when the game had those like arena levels where like you said you have to just constantly be moving and it's not constantly be moving but with purpose so eventually you know like what weapons do what how do Mm. i finish this demon off as quickly as possible it's really kinetic in a way that's like really thrilling yeah i'm not really one for the fps genre but like doom eternal really kind of showed me 
why people love Doom on the level they do. And that, I think, is one of the lesser entries. <laughs> so like, I can only imagine how much I'll like 2016 and if I revisit like the older ones as well. I've played Doom like in science class, you know, but like... Oh, like the uh, original, yeah. I forgot who it was, but someone in our school just got Doom that, to run everyone. on all the computers. That's every, yeah, every, every person every- at every school <laughs> in the United States has had that experience and probably outside. Exactly. The, yeah, exactly. The guy whose screen name is a Matrix reference got Doom on all the computers <laughs> in, in your high school. Yeah. But uh, it also, based on what you're describing with, with Roller Drum, it reminds me of, of the appeal of a lot of character action games as well. I've never really been too well versed in that genre, even though I love Nier Automata. That's more for narrative reasons. Mm. But like games like Bayonetta and Devil May Cry, people adore because there's this sort of like super high skill ceiling that's right. all about almost like perfecting your own combos and like you said, expressing yourself creatively, that is like a really, I love when games allow for the player to achieve the same goal in a way that they want to, like in a way that they are able to express themselves through the yeah. mechanics. That's like the best fighting games allow for that. Totally. It's like, yes, you can tell like that leads into conversations about balance where like you don't want every character to have too rigid of a play style where it's like, oh, to be good at this character, you have to play this way. I think that's kind of why Melee has the following it does because that game was sort of like in some ways like messy and broken at launch so people have just like discovered like interesting ways to exploit the characters yeah but even outside of melee i think like you know there there are really wonderful fighting games that just are loose enough in the design that they allow the players to be creative and, and all the variables in a match you know there's there's stuff that's going to be unforeseen that that can be really exciting when it's discovered yeah totally and i i do, I do think roller drum really kind of nails that aspect of it where uh you will start to ease into using different weapons on different kinds of enemies but like for example the the dual pistols that you start with i just find to be so fun that i end up using them even when i shouldn't just because they're like so exhilarating to just like empty a clip or sorry two clips simultaneously into a guy while like dodging his bat uh even when like (laughs) using a whole ass grenade launcher would obviously be the easier move or a shotgun or something like that. I also find like the level design in this game is really spectacular. Um, The last area of the first collection of missions is this like abandoned mall that is really cool and almost feels like an original Tony Hawk level in a way where like you're wall riding up to the second floor grinding on the balcony using like a shotgun on a guy who's like sniping from the top balcony and then jumping down and like using a grenade launcher on the dude on the bottom who's like standing there with a big shield to try and like whack you with it stuff like that does feel you know without the guns obviously like Tony Hawk in a really in a really good and smart way Um, and I think just like also adding the the ability to reload via doing tricks is like just such a smart way of kind of incorporating that in. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I also didn't even mention this, but there is like a slow-mo button. Like while you're jumping through the air, you can slow time down by yourself. Uh, It's like a little meter that will just refill as you continue to do it. And uh, honestly, I thought that that was going to be a little bit of like a salve in a way. And it only adds like another button you need to think about. And it only makes things a little bit more difficult in some cases. So there's like a lot of give and take there. And I think that's like good game design but I just think it's hard to initially wrap your head around. Yeah. I think it's a really successful game that just like demands some of your time to check it out. Uh, So if you have that new version of PlayStation Plus, like check out the first hour and like maybe you'll click with it faster than I did. Um, But if you're not into it in that first hour, if you're like these controls are really difficult, like give it a little bit more time than that and and see if it works for you before you move on. Between that and Ollie Ollie World, it sounds like the and I don't know, this is a guess based on what you've shared, but like it feels like the developers are kind of pursuing two very different ideas in their realm of interests you know where like ollie ollie world is much more 
inviting early on like they, they they go a long way to teach you the mechanics and to like welcome you into that weird worlds with yeah. all the characters and stuff whereas this this feels like maybe for like longtime fans of Ali Ali world where it's like if you want to take this like to a weirder place you <laughs> yeah. can play this game yeah i think i think both have the end goal and this has kind of always been the thing with the roll seven games that i played but both of those franchises i guess Ali Ali and roller drum if you can consider those two franchises they both have the same end goal of wanting you to achieve a flow state like they they both both want yeah. you to get to the point where you're not thinking you're just doing and in both cases they succeed on a really high level with both of those things um ali ali world i think just does a better job of introducing you to that but even the original ali ali and ali ali 2 both had this element of a flow state once you like kind of wrapped your head around how to play them uh and and got far enough in it was also helpful that both of those games were on the vita which was like the perfect console for those games to just like bring with you and like have on the bus or the train or whatever but but I, I do think like Ali Ali World feels like kind of a an, an entry point and a way to uh, ease people into that. Where like a, as you're saying, they'll get hooked on everything: the music, the vibe, the characters, the aesthetic, and then eventually at a certain point, be like, "Oh, I'm getting really good at this." And then eventually, <laughs> will be like, "Oh, I don't even think about this; I just experience it." Um, yeah. And that's like that's the highest compliment I can give to that game that they achieved that. Roller Drome, I have to imagine, will get there eventually, but it does feel a little bit puzzle solvy in a way, too, which is, I think, one of the more interesting things about it is like every time you wipe out a wave of enemies in an area in Roller Drome, they will replace it with a whole new set of enemies. Their enemy types and their layout will drastically change the way you move through that space. So it does have a little bit of that like Hotline Miami aspect to it. Say, yeah. Where yeah. like you really need to try and try and try again. And eventually when you like nail it, you will be like, oh shit, I'm a god. This is amazing. But there is a little bit of that inherent frustration, I think, in that game design where you are throwing yourself at a thing that is desperately asking you to like hit and achieve a flow state, but it's also a puzzle, so you like can't you know um so there's a little bit of a give and take there where you will hit it eventually but it's going to be a little frustrating on the way there i think it's a cool game i'm, I'm really interested in it and i'm going to keep playing it and i don't know i, I don't know like I'll, I'll be interested to see if this comes up around like goatee season like if i make it to the end and i'm like oh my god this is you know incredible but it's definitely a climb which i think is really interesting yeah i definitely want to check it out maybe we'll re- revisit it in a future episode or something yeah i do think you know i've been trying to do a video about this for youtube i wonder if it's going to be a game that's much better just like streamed yeah where like yeah. I, I don't feel like I need to be like explaining it the whole time I can just play it you know um, show don't tell yeah yeah exactly but that's Roller Drum. that's on the PS5 I don't think that's on the PS4 also I think that's just a PS5 exclusive at the moment it might be on PC as well actually I, I would bet that it is on PC but I know I know it's a Sony exclusive at least because they showed it off are there now close to 10 PS5 exclusives <laughs> can we not can we now say we've entered the double digits that's a great question PS5 yeah let's exclusives. <laughs> let me off the top of my head ratchet and clank returnal those are the only two that come immediately to mind which is oh there's a, a bunch there's a bunch oh really uh yeah astro's playroom demon souls destruction all stars uh returnal you that's said. what i was thinking of with roller drum the when you're running outside of cars yes <laughs> uh, well here, here's a question do you consider things that are also on pc to be ps5 exclusives uh, oh, that's a whole because that's, that's whole, like, like Sony's strategy now is like releasing yeah. a thing on PlayStation and then like two years later putting it on PC. That that exact topic is always something I'm like, why are people mad about this? That's like one, of the, <laughs> one of the things that just pops up every now and then. We're like the minute something gets poured to PC, someone on Twitter is like, you ruined my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, huh? Why? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I tweet about this like all the time, but every once in a while I'll be like on Reddit or Twitter or something and I'll see somebody describe something like that as being slapped in the face by like Sony, a giant megalith corporation (laughs) that's incentivized by making money. It's like, dude, yeah. like, don't put your faith in Sony because they put, uh, I don't know, Returnal on the PC, <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah, I, I don't understand being mad that someone else gets to play a game yeah. on a different console. Very strange. Yeah. Uh, I, like what's what's going to happen? Say hypothetically, <laughs> I don't know. Super Mario Odyssey made its way to PC, for right. example. Would people like get up? Would people get angry or would people be like, wow, this is cool? Do you think people would actually get angry about that? <laughs> or do you think it's just a Sony and Xbox thing? I don't know. I think it's like it's it's sort of the echoes of, of the console war marketing. Yeah, it is tough to own more than one. Right. Like It's it's prohibitively yeah. expensive to get more than one. But like, again, if you already have the game, like I can understand being mad that you can't get the game. You know, I like think exclusivity a, you know, is the thing we should be mad about. Right. Yes. Exactly. It's almost the opposite. <laughs> it makes no sense. I'm glad there are more PS5 exclusives now. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, there's also uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, which I guess right. is, is not on Xbox. Well, that was uh, yeah, that was the like kind of souped up version and it included uh, Intermission. Yeah, the Yuffie chapter. They're really killing it with these double meanings with the <laughs> subtitles. Intermission uh, with the Yuffie chapter, which was excellent. Yeah. I highly recommend that if you can play it. That uh, is, I, I'm actually glad that a lot of the bigger games like Elden Ring and Horizon and all that are also on PS4. I think what Sony said that they're going to continue supporting the PS4 until 2023, right? That's the I think so, yeah. I think I think next yeah. year is the last year that they committed to. So I imagine God of War will be for both systems as well. That's a right? good question. I guess it depends when it comes out. It is PS4 and PS5, you're right. Wow, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I wonder I wonder what like the first big PS5 only exclusive will be. I guess it was Ratchet and Clank, which that is like the one game I played that shows like, okay, this is this could not run on a different console. Yeah. Oh, Returnal was also a PS5 exclusive. Now I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Which is another game where like it seems like you maybe could have gotten this to run on the PS4. But once you get into some of the later levels is like, oh, oh my God, (laughs) this is this would have to be next gen just because of the amount of stuff on the screen. I do hope that uh, Ragnarok is so far. It, it seems like all the PS4, PS5 big games run fine on both. Yeah. Um, like I, I was watching my friend play Elden Ring on PS4. The loading screens are much longer, which mm-hmm. is a big thing. But it's not like uh, the the metric I always use in terms of like you should have just had this be a next gen release was when Dragon Age Inquisition came out for the 360 <laughs> and the Xbox One, and it was like unplayable on the 360. Mm. That game's performance was so bad on the, on the 360 that might have been the only reason I bought a PS4 <laughs> at the time. So you can thank the poor the poor performance of inquisition for the show's creation in some ways <laughs> i do i don't remember hearing anything bad about horizon forbidden west on ps4 either no i not that i recall so yeah i think that it seems like they want to make sure they're they're good on both yeah which just makes sense because i mean a lot of these games i imagine were probably like i don't know if all of them were were planned on being ps5 even yeah you know some of them have been delayed enough that they're like sort of end of library ps4 games that are suddenly now ps5 early games Mm. but uh you know whatever man whatever man who cares who fucking cares uh what's next on your lineup here yeah okay this is this is the last game we'll talk about in this section uh and and 
there's not a whole lot to well maybe there is uh the game that i have been playing recently is called shin chan me and the professor on summer vacation hyphen the endless seven day journey Wow, uh, which That's, that gives Dragon Quest Eleven a run for its money. In terms <laughs> it of does great, great titles. Yeah, this is a game by a developer called Millennium Kitchen, uh, which has been around for a long time. Specifically known for making uh, these games that were called uh, in Japan "My Summer Vacation" since like the early two thousands. I think maybe even the year two thousand uh, for the original PlayStation was when the first game came out. And the idea of that game specifically was: you are a kid who is from, I think, like a major city in japan who with his family goes and stays with like his aunt i think uh for the summer and the whole game is just like about vibes essentially like those static landscape shots you see in a hayao miyazaki movie uh that are just like establishing shots just to get you to like feel nostalgic about a time in your youth i would say that this series has just been about establishing that at all times the gameplay really serves to match that as well in those games i haven't played them to be clear they've never been released in the states and i don't think there's even like fan translations of them i might be wrong about that but i don't think there's like even a way to play them here but they've been kind of like cult classics over in japan for a long time because the whole energy is you just run around throughout the summer and like catch bugs and go fishing and like talk to people in the town, like get to know people and like a story will kind of progress very loosely over the course of the summer, depending on the people you're talking to and the things that you're doing. Um, you can like get to know your aunt and your family and things like that. You can get to know the people in town and just like fill out your bug and fish collection and just like hang out. And people generally seem to like these games a lot. There were kind of a lot of them. Um, I know there was one on PlayStation. There were a bunch on PS2. I think there was a PlayStation portable one as well it's kind of a long-running series the first game that millennium kitchen made that specifically got a release over here was a smaller title for the 3ds called attack of the friday monsters right which was a digital only i just got it recently dude out of fear of the store closing yes that i actually sat down and played that game it's like about three hours long um semi-recently it's about like a kid who uh very similarly like ends up in a small town but a bunch of uh wild stuff happens where like kaiju and robots and like ultraman-esque people like show up in this like small kind of like country town it's awesome i mean it, it is like shockingly good i think you're gonna love it i can't wait for you to play it we can talk about it eventually i'm excited yeah i've been kind of like holding on to it and not bringing it to the show specifically because like if we end up doing that 3ds bonus i feel like that's going to be in there yeah there are a few that i've done that with as well yeah exactly yeah but uh i didn't realize that that was made by the same team that made these summer vacation games which i've been hearing about for i would say i don't know like a year or two um specifically by way of uh tim rogers who does his like big long action button reviews on his youtube channel has been alluding to a second season of his review views and has said that my summer vacation and maybe the whole franchise is going to be like one of the episodes for his next season of reviews oh awesome so i've been interested in like what the series is how to play it i looked it up was kind of curious about it had no idea that this one uh shin chan me and the professor on summer vacation the endless journey uh sorry the endless seven day journey i can hear tim rogers saying that whole title with his yeah right yeah yeah i had no idea this was coming out at all i mean i i had seen it i think in a nintendo direct but like didn't make the connection that this was still like the same franchise so essentially if i had to guess they wanted to bring my summer vacation as a franchise to the united states in some way like globally they wanted to release it and maybe like couldn't figure out 
the monetary way of making that happen. Enter the Shinchan series, which is like a long running anime and manga in Japan that is, you know, pretty like globally known. If you were to Google Shinchan, you would definitely recognize the main character. You know what he looks like. Uh, he's this kind of like little twerp of a five year old who's like, I don't know, really like crass and silly. And the game is essentially just a My Summer Vacation game, like all of the old ones, but just including Shinchan characters instead of just like, you know, made up for this game and plays almost exactly the same way for the most part. And this is kind of the important thing, because although you're still doing the like hanging out, you're so short because you're Shin Chan and you're four years old and you're running around and you're kind of an idiot and a dope. Uh, but you're like having fun <laughs> catching bugs and going fishing and like talking to uh, characters in town. You can press any of the shoulder buttons to just like show your butt to the camera, which is really funny at any point for some reason. Uh, you know, it's just like a hangout game. There is this entire other aspect of it, which incorporates the Attack of the Friday Monsters stuff into this game as well. Oh, cool. So you're kind of getting like this smash of both games that Millennium Kitchen has worked on. And it is so good. I mean, it like the opening of this game, I think, is just like climbing into bed with like the coziest blanket of all time. Uh, these like big grandiose shots of like mountains in the distance with like mountainous clouds as well. Uh, the like constant sound of, of cicadas going in the background, uh, sitting by a stream and just like spending your entire day catching fish, catching a bug on the way home, hearing the lady who lives next door, like tell a bedtime story to her kids, like all that stuff is in this game and is really great but there's this whole other aspect where you meet the professor uh and <laughs> some i don't even kind of want to say too much about it i think like you just need to check it out and play it but some more uh I would say unrealistic things start happening in this world and in this village uh, that get really interesting and kind of add a twist that I don't know if this series needed because, again, it was already pretty successful uh, as just being like a hangout game. But there is this entire other aspect of it that I think is interesting and I am enjoying being in here. I don't think it's like taking away from like the main crux of my summer vacation for me. Uh, so it's kind of cool because I'm like getting the thing that I wanted and then like a little cherry on top. Uh, alongside that i don't really mind that it's like shin chan and all of these characters from this anime like i think that that's also fine um they're like fun enough to be around and i, I think they add enough personality that it's like additive and not again uh subtracting from like the vibe of it all like they they really do strike this really perfect balance between like these characters are very silly but also the things that you're doing are so relaxing that it kind of like cancels each other out and you just have a good time it's it's really that's awesome really good uh I, i'm i'm enjoying it a lot i haven't finished it um because i've been playing so much other stuff this week as well uh but it's a game that i'm like dying to go back to and uh i i, I really really recommend it i like the idea of because you know i mean there's obvious comparisons to animal crossing with the sort of hangout game genre of like you're just sort of existing in a place but i like the idea that it ends you know yeah, it's not a, totally. like stardew valley and animal crossing are kind of made to be played sort of indefinitely yeah although start of value you get that groundhog day uh vibes once you finish the first year yeah. but even still like there's a loop there that kind of keeps you there for a long time i i like i don't i don't think it's better necessarily but i like that it's like oh this is actually a authored game that has those elements yeah 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 as far as i can tell there is an actual ending to it and uh, i'm excited to see what that is in this case because uh it gets pretty wild cool video games on the switch i would recommend it i was gonna ask if it was on the switch awesome yeah wow a lot of new games did that come out this year or is that just new for us yes yeah oh yeah so that came out 
I think late last year in Japan and then got localized and released uh, like a couple weeks ago. I think like two weeks Amazing. ago here. Yeah. So, yeah, really enjoying it. Um, and those are all of the 2022 video games I've been playing this week. Well done. Well done. Steven, I'm going to ask you if we can take a break because I'm sweating profusely. It is so hot. Remember when uh, we thought it was autumn for a brief moment? It was like the <laughs> fake it was like fake fall. It's like now 90 degrees again and I'm in uh, a totally enclosed space with no airflow. So, I'm going to yeah. take a break, open a door, uh, drink some water, cool off. and then we'll come back and talk about more video games. Let's hydrate and then talk about the past. Love it. Love the past. <laughs> cool. Remember when fall happened in the past last year? <laughs> I think you're remember when fall guys happened. I'm like, yeah, remember when fall guys happened? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, see you later. Goodbye. Bye. Steven, we're back. You're having fun. I'm having fun. Love to talk yeah. about video games with you. You've cracked open a cold one. Yeah, a cold one has been cracked with open. With the boy, just me. And... Uh, <laughs> I have uh, cracked open a new layer of ice and put it in my drink, which is honestly very helpful for me. I really I was sweating so much. Uh, Dear listener, we took not that long of a break, but I did uh, over the course of about five minutes stand in front of an air conditioner uh, the entire time. And that was very helpful. I don't want to rub it in, but right now, I mean, very rarely is it nicer in Chicago, so I'm going to rub it in. Uh, But it's it's 72 degrees, mostly cloudy. And it's going to rain for exactly an hour in a bit, which is like, oh, yeah, I, I love I love a little bit of rain in a Just day. breathe life into all the plant life. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll rub it back in when it's winter. The air quality is moderate, though. So, you know, get what you pay for. <laughs> well, um, that's just the future. Well. That's oh, shit. That sucks. Um, <laughs> it's maybe too dark. <laughs> Tell me about video games. Yeah, so this game is like, I know, again, we don't have a structure, but this might be like the biggest non sequitur yet. <laughs> I've been playing Lara Croft Go on mobile. Hell yeah. So this is kind of loosely connected. I, I've never really watched like a ton of uh, video essays. Like every now and then, like I, I would have like a channel or two that I follow. But lately, I've been watching a ton. You mentioned Tim Rogers. Um, I've also been watching a lot of one of my favorite channels, Game Makers Toolkit. Really great videos on that channel just about like game design, interviews with developers. Yeah. I've been especially enjoying one series he has. The guy who runs it is named Mark Brown. And Mark has a thing called On the Level where he'll play through a really well-designed level in a game and play it with the developer. Uh, and they'll talk about like what went into it. So actually, I haven't played it yet, but there's a really fun one with It Takes Two um, where you know that game, the design oh. that goes behind behind it is like really interesting even though like i don't have like a ton of interest in the game the way it's like constructed is very interesting and there's another really good one uh with the dishonored game that's like all the different like moving parts of like that i would be very interested in yeah yeah i mean the thing the thing about it dicks too is like the book of love is so off-putting that like (laughs) it still has that cat's energy that i can't quite get through but i'm sure the actual game is fun to play yeah people really liked it yeah there are a lot of people who had it like in their top tens uh i was kind of with you i was kind of i was kind of turned off by it but um if Cult of the Lamb is any indication, maybe yeah. I should give it a shot anyway. I think I'm I think I'm more just objectively interested in the craft, even if it's not a game that I like subjectively liked or mm. wanted to play. You know, yeah. I think it's still cool to hear what the developers have to say about it. But anyway, here's a video about puzzle games and like a bunch of puzzle games just pop up in that video. Uh, two that stood out to me is one is a game called Steven's Sausage Roll, which, you know, has my name in the title. So. Dude, that game is awesome. Yeah, I've heard it looks incredible. So that's like on my radar. 
radar. I have played so much of Steven's Sausage Roll, just to be clear. <laughs> I really like that game a lot. We'll have to do an eight-hour bonus then. Um, <laughs> Dude, I love the one he rolled the sausage. Did you know his name is Steven? <laughs> All right, time for listener questions. <laughs> <laughs> is Steven Jellical? No! So... One of the puzzle games in that video was Lara Croft Go, which looked really interesting. So it was essentially like Tomb Raider through the filter of a puzzle game. So it's on mobile. It was like $5. It came out in 2015 and it seemed to have been like some kind of effort on on Square's end because there's a Lara Croft Go, a Deus Ex Go, and a Hitman Go. Yeah. That all came out around the same time and they're all like puzzle versions of those games. But I think even just like... As a pitch, I feel like the Tomb Raider, like, meshing with a puzzle game just seems to make the most sense, like, immediately. Wow, really? I was going to say that's the one that is, like, so out there for me by comparison to the other two. Interesting. Because Hitman, I, I think uh, I think of Hitman, like, as a puzzle game in a way. Like, Hitman is about, like, creatively expressing yourself through, like, a puzzle environment and being given so many choices that you can kind of do whatever. That kind of feels like almost the most natural fit for that game. Deus Ex, I honestly, I didn't even realize there was a Deus Ex go but also because of like all the hacking stuff going on in that game and the amount of like dialogue trees and the way that you're um again expressing yourself through that dialogue and trying to worm your way into and out of situations almost does feel a little bit puzzle-y as well Lara Croft is like narrative it's like I I guess well actually raiding tombs is puzzly now that you say it yeah Yeah, well, so my Tomb Raider experience is interesting because I played the very first one, like on PlayStation when it came out. And that game was pretty remarkable at the time. Like, obviously, like, I think a lot of the that game's legacy is sort of the male gaze of it. Yeah. But there's also like the actual game, especially the first one, was like a really impressive, like title for the time. Like Mm. seeing these like giant open caves and it had a genuine like air of mystery and of like, how do I navigate this environment? Which I think kind of came into fuller focus with the 2013 reboot, which I played a bit of the first one and kind of, I, I want to give another shot, but I, I was a little bit off put by how gratuitous the deaths were. Like, yeah, it is. It just felt like it was like every time Lara died, it would be like a Mortal Kombat fatality. And I'm like, <laughs> this feels really out of place. You know, like obviously it's like a high stakes adventure, but like when Nathan Drake dies, you don't see like a spike going through his neck or something. Right. He just you know, kind of ragdolls like, and then it fades to yeah, black. Yeah, it just sort of goes like, Wah! and then it yeah. loads your last save. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see Lara Croft die in horrible ways to understand that I failed. And I'm not sure if that's if that's like a a piece of all of them, because the 2013 reboot, very, very similar to Uncharted. Um, And it's kind of a full circle thing where like Tomb Raider inspired Uncharted and then the new Uncharted inspired like the new direction of Tomb Raider. And I think in, in Uncharted, which I have a lot of experience with, there is a little bit of puzzle. Like one of my favorite aspects of the Uncharted games is like when you're climbing and just trying to discern what the best path is. I always really loved the platforming and the sort of like even outside of the actual like literal puzzles there is a little bit of that even with the navigation in in uncharted specifically the later entries in that in that series um and i from what i know of tomb raider it's largely the same i have the second tomb raider rise of the tomb raider which feels like that's the one most people point to so i'm curious to play that game and see if i like it more than my brief time with the first one but regardless what was the last one called was it shadow shadow of the tomb Raider? shadow of the tomb raider yeah um i heard decent things about it it seems like 
Tobias is like the one. Yeah. But you know, maybe one day and they're all like, I feel like every sale they're there. So it's like, they're, they're pretty easily available. Yeah. They're actually all on sale right now at the time of this recording, $20 (laughs) in a bundle with all three. That's not, that's not an insult. I always see them. Yeah. They, they are for me, like in civilization, when you have an explored area and there's like the, the cloudy section before you've sent a scout out there. Uh, that's Tomb Raider for me. Like it's in that cloudy section. Like I, I have no experience with them at all outside of again the original one on playstation which i have also played but way later i didn't play it when it came out so i didn't have that like oh my god games can be this moment i was yeah. like i've already seen games like this but this one's also cool yeah i'm yeah. curious i'm curious about them because i remember when they came out i was a little bit turned off because it felt like oh you're just taking tomb raider and doing uncharted with it um right. which felt a little bit i don't know it felt a little bit like a ripoff but i mean they they were really well received so maybe i'll maybe i'll give them a shot yeah that might be a fun journey for us um, yeah and I'm, I'm most curious about the second one uh rise of the tomb raider yeah but tell me about lara croft go so lara croft go is currently my favorite tomb raider game <laughs> uh <laughs> It's really cool. So mm. for one, the aesthetic and the aesthetic of all these strange uh, 2015 square mobile game of, of major IP, uh, they're all sort of like Alto's Odyssey-esque. So they have this kind mm. of like clean polygonal look to them. Yeah. And the music is like also very calm, which is kind of funny given what's at stake. And the way it's structured is essentially there's like a path that's set by like lines and connecting dots. So Lara can move one tile at a time by like dragging you know it's touch control so you're you're dragging her around and it's essentially like at first it might feel a little rigid that you can't just like move quickly down a path but quickly you realize it's, it's essentially turn-based because yeah. later on there are things that like move every tile with Lara. so early on it's just sort of teaching like okay like you've got to get to the goal and then pretty quickly in the game they'll introduce obstacles so there might be like switches you have to pull to make a road line up one of the first enemies you meet are these snakes that if they are facing the direction that you know the the adjacent tile they'll attack lara and Mm -hmm. thankfully the death is not gratuitous she just goes like ow and then you start over (laughs) but if you are facing either to the side or behind them if you if you select to go in that tile she'll pull out her pistols and take care of the snake Mm. So that's like the sort of first enemy introduced. Then you meet these like alligator creatures that actually will follow you. And what's interesting is you learn just by observation, they will move exactly in the path that you took. So you learn that and then you realize that you can actually not only use that to avoid them or to lead them into a trap, but you can use them to help solve puzzles. And then after that, you also meet these spiders that just go back and forth in one line. So the game does a really great job to sort of visually teaching you the rules of a puzzle. Mm hmm. And the creative ways in which you can use the creatures, because I think an early pitfall is thinking you have to defeat all the creatures to progress. But it's like, you just need to get to the you exit. To, yeah, you just need to make it out. Yeah. So often you just need to make sure like there, there's one really clever puzzle where you have to use a spider to hit a switch. Right. It's really fun. My only main critique of it is that if you get stuck a little like do you want a tip yeah. icon pops up and if you select it it goes for the humble price of 199 square enix will send you <laughs> yes. how to solve this puzzle and it's like 
thankfully it's a sort of a game. I think it's like $5. So like there really isn't, at least what I've seen, there really isn't any other like pricing to it, but it feels kind of shitty to have like tips be the thing that's monetized. Mm -hmm. I haven't really like all the puzzles have been challenging, but I've found I haven't ever felt like especially stuck. So I don't think it's the kind of game where like, I'm also sure you could just Google it. Like they they monetized needing to not go on Google, (laughs) I guess. You're already on your phone. <laughs> it, it feel, I feel like 2015 was an interesting era for mobile games in general, because you could tell there's like kind of an art house push for this game. Like yeah. it's like, you know, it has this like cool aesthetic and it's a really clever puzzle game, but it's like we're not quite far away from American Dad Match 3. So there's like a little bit of that <laughs> like DNA there. But I think it's a really cool puzzle game. I think it plays really well on mobile. It looks great. It's cool. To, I, I like when games kind of if you had to like minimalize a game into its chorus elements like what would it look like and i do think that there's something about this puzzle game that does kind of retain all the elements of of uncharted and i imagine the modern yeah tomb raider games so i would recommend it if, if you're into puzzle games like more than if you're a tomb raider fan i mean i'm sure you'll enjoy it too but i think if you're like into good puzzle games this is a really great time I, i'm really blown away by it yeah i would also if you like it i would recommend hitman go which i think that's yeah. the one i have the be- I, i've played both of those um i have not played the deus ex one but i did just buy it while we we're talking because um <laughs> itunes has yeah. this thing where like itunes the app store has this thing where if you have bought something that is in an app bundle you can like complete the bundle for a discounted price so i just went on because i had already bought lara croft go and hitman go when they came out and it cost me a dollar to get uh deus ex which was nice, nice. so a- anyway i played both of those games around when they came out i had like really no memory of lara croft go at all but really remembered hitman go being uh really good but it can get frustrating because it's like difficult i'm just like bad at stealth games <laughs> if i'm being honest mm. i was hoping that by putting it in like a puzzle game structure i would be like cool i can think about this in a different way because it's not like totally open-ended i don't need to think about like vision cones you know in like 3d space i can think about vision cones in 2d space and and that might be easier and it is good it is a very good game i think you'll like it a lot if you like lara croft go but i'm very curious what deus ex go is like i have no idea what that yeah. could possibly be that'll be really <laughs> that fun. seems like the weirdest fit yeah. it's sort of like mass effect go it's and like, then they didn't make any more so maybe i don't know <laughs> that was also it yeah i do wonder too if there's gonna be more i feel like tomb raider and uncharted seem like they're kind of loosely over like i don't think yeah. we've, we've been told definitively like that's it but it seems like naughty dog is more all in on last of us right now and it just feels like i don't know post shadow of the tomb raider if they're gonna do more of that but hey all three of those games are there so yeah I'm to play them if i i think if I'm not mistaken, they're they don't even own the studio anymore, right? It was it was I think Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal, which were two of the studios that they bailed on. Oh, that's right. That's sad. And I think sold to Embracer. So maybe Embracer has the rights to Lara Croft and, and Tomb Raider now. I, I'm curious. I mean, the way not to spoil it, but the way Uncharted 4 ended seem to imply a future for the series but i don't know if that's going to actually happen oh or not. yeah they could do that i i saw that yeah. as more of like just kind of a nice send-off and like yeah like the tale will continue i didn't see that as like literally like we're gonna make a fifth one but i, I thought that was like a, a nice i don't want to say too much about it actually but i i really yeah. like the way that game ends <laughs> um i that feels like a looming bonus for us is like the uncharted series 
I think we we had planned to do one through four, and then I think we both realized like we just really love four. Yeah, that was kind <laughs> of my thing. Yeah, like, I, I really like Lost Legacy, and I really like four. Those are those are kind of it for me. I think I think one, two, and three have their have their you know moments, but four is really where it comes together, and Lost Legacy is like maybe perfect. Yeah, I would say if you're curious about Uncharted, you can skip the first one. The first one's pretty rough, honestly. Yeah, I would say play the opening train sequence of two, just like an iconic moment of yeah. video games. And then play four in Lost Legacy. That's my machete order for Nathan Drake. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, three. Uh, yeah, three is a little rough, too. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. I now wonder if we're going to emerge like Tomb Raider stands instead post checking out the trilogy. Yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. I am very <laughs> curious about this. this. Yeah, this feels dangerous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to take a break and then come back and talk about some more stuff? That sounds good. Let's go play Deus Ex Go outside with the opened cold one with the boy and then come back. We've never done that before, but I would love to take a break in an episode and come back and talk about another game that we talked about earlier. Wouldn't that be so fun if we like actually that took a break fun, for yeah. like an hour, went and played Deus Ex Go and came back. We're like, all right, this is what we think. Just like really fresh take. We should do that one day. That'd yeah. be funny. That feels like a whole other type of show. Honestly. Yeah, it's a different, that like that's a different podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. AJ, all right. bleep all that out. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. See you later. Welcome back to the podcast. Lara Croft Go predates Pokemon Go. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> Isn't that kind of wild? That's good. I just assumed it was like, oh, Pokemon Go is popular. These should all be named Go. Mm, mm. But no, Lara Croft did it first. Lara Croft <laughs> did it first. What other, we, we were talking about this briefly in the break, but what other Square Enix games would you want to see in a Go format? What other games? I mean, th- think of any game. <laughs> I don't think Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest quite work. Mm. I don't know. I'm stumped. It's honestly kind of a hard thing to think of. I'm yeah. impressed that they did so well with the three they with had. Those three, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What do we have the rights to? I feel like they had the rights to Gex at one point and let that slip. So Kingdom Hearts go. Kingdom Hearts go. I don't even know. I'm what sure that, is. that will happen. And then be canon. You yeah. need to have played it to have played for. They had that whole like pseudo MMO mobile game that was around for a while. I think it was called Kingdom Hearts X. Uh, oh, yeah. That like ran for 10 years and was canon. And like you needed to have played it to understand <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 3 also. Because I remember in Kingdom Hearts 3, they had that whole section that was like, let's catch you up on everything you missed. And it's like a hundred in 50 minutes of like cutscenes from everything including like a live symphony orchestra that happened one night only and also <laughs> this mobile game uh and whatever a text nomura sent like to someone <laughs> in his life who he thought was walt disney he was like walt, <laughs> yeah. walt you around oh shit sorry just Google nomura you. texted norded walt yeah that's that's <laughs> that's also canon so what are we talking about <laughs> You wanted to update us on oh yeah Call to the Lamb uh, wow. since you play a little bit more of it. I am pretty much where I was last time, but mm. I am happy to talk more about it. Sure, uh, so let's let's do it. Yeah, I, I'll just say about Call to the Lamb. I, I think was that last week? It was only yeah. last week. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, we've done so much. <laughs> We're different people now. We recorded yesterday, and we also cracked open a cold one. So. That's true. Yeah, man, so much has changed. I'm Norded now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Loving it. My new eyes are glowing. Uh, everybody really loves them. Say a Nord, go. Yeah, I keep getting stopped on the street. People are like, "Love your glowing eyes." I'm like, "Thanks, I got Norded." Anyway, <laughs> that joke is for Thanks. like 15 people. I'm sure so many. <laughs> it's like so weirdly niche. Anyway, I want to start saying that to like people who don't know what it means. Like, you look great. So like, thanks. I just actually got Norded. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty big it's a pretty big deal for me it's <laughs> pretty cool this is like my second time getting norded yeah i won't tell you when i was first norded 
Cult of the Lamb, uh, a game about nording others. Actually, now that I think yeah. about it, um, actually, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, it, I, last week we talked about it. I was pretty hard on it. I still kind of am. Like, I still have a lot of grievances about it. Honestly, um, just like the text of the game, I find troubling. But all of that said, I mean, I'm still like loving it mechanically. Like, I'm still having a really good time with it. I ran into some issues. Like, right after we recorded last week, I ran into some issues where my cult just like it felt like it was in a place where there was no way I could get it back on track. Like it really felt irredeemable at a certain point where like I never had enough resources for the things I wanted to do. Everyone was constantly dissenting, but I couldn't like build the things that you need to deal with dissenters here and there. All of my rituals were on a cooldown, so I could never like raise the faith up enough. It just felt like there was there were no avenues to success. And because of that, because the cult was so bogged down, there was no way I could also go in and do a run because whenever you do runs in the roguelike side of the game, that also means that your cult is continuing to decompose uh, in the background because the yes. clock is still moving. So I was in this place where I was like, the game has actually kind of like locked me out of progressing in a way. And what I realized eventually was that uh, I just had too many cult members. I was just too popular uh, <laughs> and I just needed to let them wither away and die. And I did that and got my cult back down to a manageable level a manageable number of people. And now everything's going swimmingly, which is very interesting. So I'm now at the point where i have beaten two of the bishops nice and uh the game is great i mean the game is like really fun like i'm having a really good time with it it i I think the big thing for me is that i was curious to see if the actual roguelike end of it would get more interesting and and give me more choice and give me more like randomness because that's always the thing that i crave in those kinds of games you know because like for all of the success that the game has like aesthetically i think there is kind of this element when you're in the actual roguelike end of it where it's like I've seen rooms that look exactly like this before. Like even in Binding of Isaac, I feel like that game, even though it's such like a strict kind of art style, there are a lot of handcrafted rooms that feel very different from one another. So you kind of never know what you're going to get when you walk into a new room in a run. This game, you kind of do like this game. You kind of like do know what you're going to get. And I appreciate that they add some choice where in between clearing out a floor, you get to choose like Slay the Spire from a collection of things. So like here's, you know, a room that's just going to be resources. Here's a room that's going to be a cultist that I can indoctrinate. Here's going to be a room that's, I don't know, like a shop or something. Or here's a whole nother floor of enemies that I can go wipe out and like try and get more stuff from that. I appreciate that. But when you're actually doing the runs, a lot of stuff feels very samey. Thankfully, progressing your cult even more means that you're unlocking more choice. You're unlocking like different kinds of weapons with different kinds of effects. You're unlocking new curses that you can get. You're adding to your uh, ability to use curses more frequently, things like that. I find to be really, really helpful in making the game feel more random and feel like I'm having like I I need to kind of like bulk up my own skill set in a way to uh, accommodate all of the different options that could arise, uh, which kind of offsets that sameness in a way. There is also the element where like there's a story involved and every once in a while the story will like inject itself into a run, which I think is really fun. The second bishop, uh, I I think, is a really interesting one because anytime you run into them, they will do something horrible to your cult. They'll like make everyone starving or uh, give like make everyone sick and everyone needs to be on bed rest, like things like that, which like really set you back. And those I found more fun to deal with than frustrating. So I don't know. I, I think the game has like really only gotten better for me. I, th- I think it's like really kind of one of the standouts of the year, even with my grievances aside. It's, yeah, it's good. It's cool to see. I mean, you know, a lot of our friends, a lot of people in the discord are really enjoying it as well. So it's like 
it's definitely like <laughs> it's a game about really awful stuff that has created positive community and discussion about it, which is kind <laughs> yeah. of ironic. But yeah, I'm excited to get further into it. And again, I'm excited to see how it ends. This is still kind of where I'm at. We're like, I think it's interesting going back to like the slice of life game series you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I think this is the kind of game like roguelikes and life sims tend to not end. They usually are about cycles. Right. So the fact that this game has a definitive end is really interesting. And I'm really curious. There's too many things to unlock to realistically get in a single playthrough based on mm-hmm. if, it, if it really is like a 10 to 12 hour game. Like there's going to be a lot left to unlock kind of yeah. like, you know, rolling credits in Hades. Like you, you are probably less than 50 percent done with like everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I think Hades like there's there's purposely kind of a post game story that is set up that I won't spoil. And there's also like, likely there are a lot of loose threads that you'll want to tie up with like the other characters. Yeah. So, you know, I think you'll feel a really great sense of closure with Zagreus and, and some of the key players, but a lot of the supporting cast will be like, I want to see what they're up to. I want to help them. You know, uh, Cult of the Lamb, I imagine, will will probably just end, but then maybe it will be like a new game plus scenario where like you start the game from scratch, but you have everything unlocked that you did last time. Mm. That way you can kind of just like get into it faster. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm even if it ends and it's just like you can just keep unlocking stuff if you want, like that's fine by me, because I think I think the loop is getting more interesting the further in I get. But I, I do think yeah. it's a little bit of a rough start early on because they they put so much emphasis on like getting new cultists that any time I was presented with that option, I was like, yes, this is only good for me. Not realizing that I was like really like uh, hampering my own ability to progress in a way. But once I've got that all balanced out, I feel pretty good about it. But there are some things, honestly, in the in the like tree of things you can unlock that i'm like completely uninterested in also so i don't know i i don't even know how much i'd want to like spend a bunch of time being like yes i will finally unlock this thing for no reason and put it in like spend all the resources <laughs> uh just to get it built now that i'm thinking about it also there is that other angle where i forget what it is they're like these i think they're called commandment stones you have to get three pieces of them to like issue a new doctrine to your cult and that's always a choice which is interesting so you'll choose from like one of five different things one of them will be like the way that your cultists feel about hunger and food or the way your cultists feel about like spreading faith or the way they feel about doing manual labor, things like that. And whenever you choose from one of those five, they then give you another choice of one or the other doctrines that you can enact. And I don't I don't think you get to like undo those and unlock the other one now that I think about it. So I wonder I wonder how that kind of comes into play with uh, finishing yeah. the game as well, if there's a way to go back and unlock that stuff as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's still a lot of lingering questions with that game. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah. But I think something that I really walked away even more curious about from last week you know in our discussion of cult of the lamb we talked a lot about these sort of hybrid games games that kind of seek to have a life sim part of it coupled with like another game essentially and us talking about like when we think that works really well when we think it doesn't work quite as well and all that to say i think cult of the lamb's biggest strength even more than the roguelike part of it or the townsend part of it is how well they balance both i think mm-hmm. like i think that they like the game does a good job doing both which is really i think it's so impressive because you essentially have to make two games that feel 
like they are also connected in some way that like they either complement each other or your progress in one benefits the other and i started thinking about other games we played for the show that are similar like rune factory which we both really enjoy but it does feel a little bit messier in that execution where like the distinction between the jrpg plot and the dungeon crawling is a little bit less clear then the town seems like you're always kind of doing the same thing. So it, yeah. it all kind of feels like it's operating on the same level as opposed to like a loop. And a game that I started thinking about that I that I played and brought to the show at the end of last. No, it wasn't last year. It was at the end of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Time, man. It was a game called Sakana of Rice and Ruin. It came out in November of 2020. Developed by Edelweiss, I believe it's pronounced. And it's published, actually, by Marvelous, who also published the Rune Factory games. Full circle. Oh. But Sakana of Rice and Ruin was a game that really caught my eye at the time. And I remember, you know, once we're in November, we're in like full goatee prep season. Right. So I feel like that is a time that's kind of unfair to any new game because like Mm -hmm. unless it completely pulls you in, it's hard to really like give it the time it deserves. So like usually at that time of the year, I am I'm mostly trying to prepare my list. And if a new game comes out that I'm curious about, I'll check it out. I'll do a quick gut check and then I'll move on. And 2020 was was truly fucked up in terms of how many good games came out. <laughs> yeah, my number real. 10 game for that year, and 10 is not a bad spot, but my number 10 game was Yakuza Like a Dragon, yeah. which I think just shows you like how stacked that year was. So Sakuna oh was a game that I thought was really cool, but kind of just like moved on from. And in light of our conversation, I really wanted to revisit it. So I'm like, I remember really liking that game, and I feel like that's a really cool premise. Essentially, the game is half side-scrolling beat-em-up sort of metroidvania dungeon crawler mm-hmm. and half farm sim the the presentation and the comedy is very okami-esque where like it's very cartoony but it also involves like sort of a fable-ish folklore story so you play a sakana who is i think the daughter of the goddess of the harvest um and she gets wasted one day and accidentally leads humans to like the realm of the gods and as punishment the the head god banishes sakana and the humans to what they call the isle of demons and she is tasked with like learning manual labor and protecting this group of humans so like Mm. almost a weird flip of cult of the lamb and sakana is just like totally spoiled like is not prepared for this task at all yeah and the humans are all kind of lovable idiots like they're all really nice (laughs) but like the dad the dad of the family is like if Raphael from fire emblem just loved farming and that was like his whole thing (laughs) but he's not like especially good at it he just sort of knows about it right and the game actually has this really funny thing where you can let him handle the farming if you just like want an ai to do it and like, I think he'll be like, okay, but you want to do it yourself. So the way this game is, is first of all, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful game. The presentation is like really, really stunning. Like, it, you know, it's not like the most high def graphics or anything, but just like the art direction and the use of color and the use of lighting, like mm. the way the seasons change, like the way winter looks and the way spring looks, it's really beautiful. It, the whole time you're playing this, it feels like you're playing a cult hit on the GameCube. I might've said that like when I first brought it to the show, but I mean that as a compliment where it feels like this is a GameCube game that people won't shut up about. That's $500 at the used store, but it's not, it's on your switch and you can get it pretty easily. It's also on PC and PS4, just to be clear in case you're interested in it. 
That's right. I have it on Switch and honestly it plays great. So it's nice. not it's not a case where it's like less than on Switch, which is sometimes common. Yeah. But yeah, so I remember I brought it to the show and I really loved the premise. I loved the charm. I, I loved like you know, the voice acting is great. Uh, I, I believe the actor who plays Sakuna is one of the main characters in Persona 5. Like, really recognizable voice. Oh, fun. And there's a lot of really fun, like, dialogue that just happens either, like, when you're out fighting or when you're farming. But I remember when I brought it to the show, I was like, the farming is really interesting. The combat's a little dry. It's hard when you make these games to not have one element be better than the other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I felt good about my time with it. I just sort of moved on. Um, but I had this urge to go back and I'm like, I feel like I kind of gave it not enough time. I feel like I did a little dirty with yeah. that recommendation. So I went back and I was right at the end of finishing my first year's harvest, which I would say if you play this game, give it a year of game time, which is a few hours. It, it's a slow start. Mm. The way it works is that farming actually makes Sakana more powerful so the better your yield is for the year, like you have more health, you do more damage and all that, and you slowly gain more abilities as well. So early on, it feels a little bit stiff, but when you get more abilities, it starts to be really fun. Like, I don't think the battles are are going to like change your mind about this genre if you're not into it, but it definitely feels kind of like Cult of the Lamb, where it's like Cult of the Lamb's roguelike fights are like way better than than they even needed to be. And that's how I feel about Sakuna's battles. And what, what's mm-hmm really great is that while it is sort of like a beat-em-up side scroller the enemy placement is very purposeful and the game is training you to think about the environment in ways that are interesting so you can like you fight with like a sickle and a big broom in the beginning so you can like hit a small rock with the broom as like a you know it propels the rock like in an arc and you can use that to like hit the faraway archer so the combat i think once you get more abilities is way more fun and the farming is really fascinating so this is i think the part of the game that is the most hit or miss. You sent me a graph this morning, just like unprompted of fertilizer stats. Fertilizer stats. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> I feel like when you say farming sim, you kind of fully expect a Stardew Valley where it's like, it's more about the rotation of action than really actually farming. Mm-hmm. Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, it makes Sakuna like actually like go into the dirt, till the soil after a harsh winter plant each seed individually use fertilizer that is influenced by what the family had for dinner so like (laughs) planning your meals to affect the fertilizer uh Uh, it's very funny the way they do it and the way the dad explains it because he just loves farming so much he's like yeah "Yeah, you got to think about what you eat so on one hand it can feel tedious especially in the beginning because like they're not really telling you how to farm at all they're almost like kind of setting you up to fail in the first year which like even if you do as well as you can, you're going to have a subpar yield for story reasons, mm. which I won't spoil. But like, it's like pretty much set in stone that your first year is going to go like mediocre Poorly, at yeah. best. And then as you do more farming, you actually gain more abilities. So like normally it's just like literally a big plot of dirt. The, the rice paddy is this like sectioned off area where you go in and you just like essentially without any like precision or accuracy plant the seed in the best line that you can Mm -hmm. and i just now in my second year in the game unlocked enough proficiency with farming that i now see a grid so it's like the game is kind of really setting you up to be bad at farming because sakuna is bad at farming she's the spoiled goddess 
who who really just wants to get out of here as soon as possible. But the game has this really strong reverence for rice farming in a way that's like really effective and kind of is the heart of the story because it's a story about redemption and about kind of like learning about your connection to the earth and the importance of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these humans too, they all kind of figure out they're good at something. Like the, the dad has this knowledge of farming. The mom eventually learns how to cook. The son is a blacksmith. I imagine the other, there's a kid that's just a baby that runs around and says hello. So I don't yeah, know. If, actually, he he's weirdly good at like uh, uh, figuring out how demons fight. <laughs> so then there's something <laughs> going on with him. And it just it's so charming and it's really like I do think, again, I could see someone being like, why do I have to plant every seed manually? Why mm-hmm. do I have to harvest the rice, put them on racks, dry them off, then like with a scythe, harvest the rice and then for like maybe 15 actual minutes put all the rice in a mortar and pestle until it's either brown or white rice, which takes a really long time. But the way the game, like the camera moves in that moment and the music and the presentation, like it does really put you in this meditative state. That's <laughs> forgive me, weirdly similar to death stranding in the, <laughs> in the reverence that they're giving these meditative moments of yeah, like right. helping others and also like navigating a natural environment. Mm. And I I did a little bit of research and one of the developers of this game actually tried to cultivate rice on their balcony. And I did a lot of research about like how rice is farmed traditionally. And you can feel that you can feel like the, the actual love for farming in the game and it's just really cool. Like I've, I've, I've yet to see a farming sim other than maybe like actual like farming simulator on steam or something. Mm. I haven't seen a game that says it's a farming sim really go this into detail with the farming and give it like narrative importance and also like be the redemption, like food and farming is the redemption of the spoiled goddess and also gives purpose and like power to these mortals that were so left on their own. Their only choice was to stumble into the realm of the gods and ask for help Mm. the story is cute it's very like cartoony and and for a general audience but it does have these moments that are really effective of like you know that there's going to be a redemption you know that eventually Sakuna is going to love this family right and they're going to love her but I think it's cool to see that play out through the routine of farming and I think the fact that that gives you and this is similar to Cult of the Lamb where as time passes in one area it passes in the other but I think here it works a little better because like rice actually takes a long time to dry so you can be like, okay i'm gonna let the rice dry i'm gonna go fight some rabid demons in the cave yeah and then when it's nighttime the demons are way stronger so kind of it, it you know incentivizes you to go back home mm. eat dinner with the family get some rest wake up the next morning and the seasons also pass pretty quickly so like you basically have to spend the whole year preparing this field harvest it in the autumn see how much food you have for winter and then start over again but yeah. I think the way that the two parts of the game ate each other and again the reverence for the rice farming it's a really cool game I, I, I've really warmed up to it upon revisiting it and I would highly recommend it if anything I said is of interest to you I think this is a, a really hidden gem on the Switch like it's it's done well I think it's sold over a million copies but I don't hear about it a lot so I would love to do to use whatever influence we have on the show to, to tell more <laughs> people to check it out because I think it's a really incredible experience yeah I am ending this segment the same way I ended the first time we talked about this which is like man I really should get this 
this game. <laughs> it seems like really my shit also. Like it seems really good. Yeah. It's really like it's it's a feel good game. too. like if you're playing a lot of Cult of the Lamb and you feel a little bit sick and I, I love Cult of the Lamb. It's a great game. But yeah. if you need something a little bit more uh, uplifting, um, Sakuna is like very funny, very heartfelt. It's, it's a great time. Yeah. It honestly just kind of seems like the answer to my question from last week about Cult of the Lamb. It's like what ha- what happens when this is about optimism and not about like, you know, depravity. <laughs> <laughs> they they are reflections of each other. You need both. And mm. I'm glad we have both. Yeah. I am interested also in the like, what, what were they called? They're marvelous. I think now they're called Xseed as like the publishing arm uh, yeah. that, that makes the Rune Factory games also doing this. I wonder how much of that was supposed to be like a let's see if we do Rune Factory in like another way, if that could also be its own franchise. Like, I wonder if if they're planning on making a sequel to this or like what the future for this game is, because I do remember it doing very well. And I remember it being pretty well received overall as well. Yeah, I think it's inherently a little niche, you know, because I think it's like once you see fertilizer stats, you might feel like you're you're looking at an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> but I think, um, it, yeah, the developers have said that they wanted to do a sequel. And I think it's it's sold well enough that I imagine we'll see it. And I think as much as I love it, I think a sequel would do it well because like there are just a few things that you could tell could use some refinement like i think the battle system while it does get much more interesting it starts off slow enough that you, i think you can refine that and also sometimes while i know sakuna is supposed to be bad at farming and i am sure that i will surprise acquire an ability that makes it way easier to plant like in a row mm. it is sometimes frustrating that like her controls can be a little slippery when you're planting the seeds so that stuff that can kind of get in the way a little bit, but overall it's like kind of serves what the game is trying to do hmm. as an experience. Like it's trying to show how ill-equipped Sakuna is for this and also show like how important this process is both for the characters and just like in real life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is such a traditional thing and there's, there's so much history intertwined with it. Like there's a great moment where, like they're all bickering as they work the field together. And then the dad just starts singing like an old rice farming song. And they all join in on that. And like, it's a long, it's a scene that's like maybe a little bit too long, but it just shows them all singing and all like working on this field in unison. And it's like very effective. That's really it's nice. Really, yeah. It's a really heartfelt moment that like shows how much, how much history there is with this. I don't know if that's a real song or not, but you know, I think there's, there's a reverence again, to use the word for a third time for, <laughs> for farming that is really uh, infectious. Yeah. That's Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. I, I did a quick Google real quick. Um, it looks like the developers have said that they do want to make a sequel, but there is not one in development yet. Gotcha. So it, it seems like uh, they're very happy with how it was received, but maybe they're working on something else. I don't know. I, I don't see anything else that they have announced that they're working on. So maybe that's in the future. But either way, yeah, we'll see. It's been a re- it's a recent enough release that like I imagine that's still a possibility, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Continuing along on this uh, path of gods, shall we say, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to give a quick shout out to Hades which I've been playing a lot again uh inspired by both you jumping into it on Twitch recently uh which that video is on our YouTube as well and also friend of the show Alana Oaken reaching out to the two of us uh, after seeing Hades Town on Broadway which I would also recommend very good saying that uh she wanted to get back into Hades I was like me too actually so I started a new save file in Hades and that game. Oh, you started fucking, from scratch. Yeah, That's started amazing. from scratch. Yeah. My, my thought cool. was like, I want to kind of get my feet under me again and like relearn how to play this game a little bit before yeah. I jump back into my old save file and like try and continue to complete things because I, I just knew I did not have the chops to just jump in where I was at uh, and keep going. <laughs> uh, it was, it was going to be a little bit of a learning process, but I've been really enjoying like starting from scratch. There's a lot more like foreshadowing for that story than I was expecting. Um, Hades holds up uh, a yeah. really good video game. I said this before and this, you know, it's, it's hard 
hard not to say this without sounding hyperbolic, but I think in the time we've done this show, I think that is the best game we've played. I would that like, has come out. Yeah. Yeah. Like unequivocally agree. Like no, yeah. no question, no pushback <laughs> at all. Like that, that is the best game we've ever talked about and probably played on the show. Of, of recent, really, of like games that have come out between 2018 and 2022. Ever. Ever. <laughs> you would say ever? No, I don't know about ever, but it's, it's, yeah. Of it's like, still in consideration of ever. It but, is in consideration. Yeah. I mean, like when we eventually and inevitably do a Games of the Decade part two, that is going to be like maybe the game of the decade, I would yeah. say. We started yeah. 20, we started the second decade with that game, and I, I am still waiting for a game to be better than that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're only two years in, so a uh, <laughs> lot of time left. Time. <laughs> yeah. Sucking it too, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like maybe Hades 2 eventually comes out and then we're like fucked. I have a feeling I think it would be a missed opportunity. I mean Supergiant can do whatever they want but I, I do think that there is room for like a big DLC pack for Hades like some kind of big like you know expansion because yeah. I think uh, my friend Sadie brought this up and I think it's a great observation without spoiling there's a whole part of the Hall of Hades that opens up eventually that serves no real purpose mm. and I wonder if that area is going to be like the entrance to a yeah. DLC world that's what Sadie mentioned and I think that that does make sense it could just be there just to look nice but I wonder if that's somehow connected to like a big sequel of some kind yeah, yeah, I, w- I would love to see more of that game in any form. Uh, but I mean, even still, there's so much of it I have left to explore. Yeah. So I'm, I've been really enjoying going back to it and just like reimmersing myself in that world. And oh my God, that voice acting is so good. All that writing yeah. is so good. I mean, just like mechanically, it feels amazing. Um, I, I just like I forgot even how some of the progression that game works, like unlocking weapons one by one, getting the like big like upgrade materials by beating bosses with a weapon for the first time, like incentivizing you to go and try out new weapons and new builds and not like locking yourself down to one style of play. Like it's fucking brilliant. It's like yeah. there's not a single piece of that game that is not brilliant, which is really it's remarkable. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, I'm remarking upon it. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> a masterpiece. Truly. Yeah. It made 2020's Game of the Year episode anticlimactic where it's like, yeah, it's. It's Hades. No, it was still a great yep. episode, but it was like, okay, what's number two for you? <laughs> yeah, which honestly, like, I felt a little bit of that in this year as well with Elden Ring. And yeah. like, thankfully, I feel like we're getting some stuff that is like maybe it's going to be tough to top Elden Ring. But like, yeah, it's 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 more of a it's more of a decision. It's less of a like this is set in stone. It was like, so obvious for so long that it was going to be Elden Ring. And now, like, the more I play of Xenoblade, for example, the more I'm like, oh, maybe maybe this is it actually, you know, uh, it's, yeah. it's not as obvious as it used to be. Yeah. I think it's also by nature of coming out so early in the year, there's more room for like, well, yeah. I mean, Elden Ring is still, I think a masterpiece. Um, yeah. and again, it's, it's all, it's all subjective. It's, it's what we enjoyed the most. And it's always fun. Even if it's like an obvious thing, it's always fun to do those episodes. I'm really looking forward. It's kind of weird that it's like almost the end of the year. You know, we're in the last quarter. Yeah, I was just I was just talking to my partner about that yesterday while we were on a walk. Just I don't know what it what happened, but like as soon as August hit, I was like, oh, the year's almost over. It's like it's, we have so much year left, but it we really do. does feel like it's almost <laughs> over. But there are so many games coming out still this year that are like, yeah, that are going to be huge. I mean, we talked about them last week, but like there's a lot to come that actually has like a chance at challenging the throne of Elden Ring. Harvestella. Uh, Harvestella will become the Elden Lord. Uh, <laughs> this is actually maybe a good lead in to the next thing that we wanted to talk about briefly. Uh, so 
we uh, mentioned at the top of the episode, we just recorded our Paper Mario bonus for this month, the month of August 2022. Um, we have already decided upon our bonus for the next month, yes. which I'm very excited about. Uh, it's going to be God of War 2018, uh, which is a very interesting game, I think, for the two of us because it came out before the show started, but was the year that the show started. You played a little bit of it by the time Goatee Season had rolled around. I had finished it and I had it at number two on my game of the year list and essentially forced it onto our top five for the show because <laughs> I felt so strongly about it. Yeah. And I felt so strongly that you in particular, when you finally gave it like the time and came to the uh, like rolled credits on it, you would be like, yes, this does deserve to be here. There's also a sequel coming out this year in November. God of War Ragnarok drops at least at this at the moment. And I imagine they won't push it again if I to guess but it's supposed to come out on november 9th uh which is like pretty soon and i think is gonna be like one of the more anticipated games of the year for me i have gone back and started playing god of war again from the top i was thinking about doing new game plus but i was like kind of like hades like i kind of want to just start from scratch and and feel that progression again um especially if we're going to talk about it on a bonus i feel like to to start from the beginning like without all of my like a little bit of a spoiler, but one of the many very long side quests you can do in that game uh, that is like not telegraphed at all, but you can go and do it is get all of the infinity stones and then build an infinity gauntlet. And that can be one of your uh, one of the things that you equip, which is like absolutely wild. But like going into this game without the infinity gauntlet from the top, probably for the best for me when talking about it bonus wise. But I am really excited to talk about this game specifically because I don't think we've really like had the conversation about it. It just came up in goatee season and was very brief because I didn't want to like say too much to like spoil anything for you or talk too much about it in general because I just like assumed we'd talk about it eventually. And it's been on the back burner for so long that now that there's a sequel coming out, it feels like kind of an obvious time to do it. Yeah, I think also as many as many astute listeners have pointed out, there are not as many bonuses where I haven't played the game, <laughs> which not that it's a bad thing, you know, and that's not that's not like by me demanding we play things I love. But I think like, you know, you you self-appointed the quest of getting into JRPGs. So we have a lot of bonuses where it's like you're playing Chrono Trigger for the first time. We actually both played Mother 3 for the first time. With our friend Will, uh, one of my favorite episodes we've done. Even the Paper Mario bonus, though, was like, I haven't played that. Yeah, exactly. I would say what is essentially the like in-game demo. I've played that. (laughs) I've played like the very beginning. And I and I liked that enough that I kind of trusted that it would, you know, make our list. But yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited to finally play it because this is the only like big Sony Studios game or the Sony first party game that I haven't Mm. played. Uh, I mean, Horizon, I haven't really gotten too far into, but like of the like big flagship series, I, I, it's the only one I haven't played. Yeah. So that's very exciting. So that's going to be September's bonus. And kind of as a companion piece, we decided to do a patron bonus in September. That is a discussion of Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. Really incredible book. It is essentially like Neil Gaiman retelling his favorite stories or his favorite slash big moments in Norse mythology. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you get this sort of creation, the like genesis of Norse mythology and it ends in Ragnarok, but in between are just sort of like 
here's like a fun one with Thor and Loki. You're like, here's this. And right. Here's like the family drama, like the Kardashians kind yeah. of element that, that <laughs> Odin and his family have. I remember there's a there's a paragraph that I remember where Neil Gaiman writes like whenever there was trouble, Thor's first instinct was to ask Loki if he was responsible. His second <laughs> was asking Loki for help if he wasn't. So it's like, I love like how he establishes their relationship. That book is awesome. You and I have both read it already, to be clear, but like we're going to check it out again. I when I finished God of War, I, I, I think I remember mentioning this on the 2018 Game of the Year episode, actually. But when I finished God of War, I did two things immediately because I loved that game so much. I started it immediately from the top again, and then I bought Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology and read it on my commutes to and from work because I was like so enamored by the world of Norse Mythology that I just like needed to continue living in it, even though I had world credits. Yeah, super worth it. Great book. So yeah, we'll we'll be discussing that book and and possibly like its you know relationships with God of War in some ways like depictions of certain gods. I imagine they'll come up naturally. So that will be the patron bonus. I like I like when we can do patron bonuses that are kind of related in some capacity. So that'll be a fun series of episodes to make. Yeah, we also have I think next month's plan, but you can wait on that. We'll tell you that later. Well, that would be next next month, Stephen. We've are, we're announcing next month's. <laughs> <laughs> the year's almost over um <laughs> but yeah some i'm all that's uh, all very exciting to me yeah i'm very excited what i'll say uh just from what i've played of god of war so far revisiting it um without saying too much you know because i want to save it for the bonus and whatever but um i mean i think it's hard when you're revisiting a game like that that you've played you know a long time ago or that is so like story specific or whatever especially considering like we didn't talk about it on the show so like i didn't have like this outlet to like speak about it while i was playing it i just kind of like had it as a solitary experience it's kind of hard to remember how you feel about it in the moment so looking back i was always like yeah god of war was great like i'm excited for a sequel whatever jumping back into it and like asking myself why did this make number two like why was this under hollow knight why was this above spider-man and monster Hunter and stuff like that like why why was this game so high up on my list man this is like for real like the peak of that style of game for me like there there is that like first party sony studios thing that they're doing sorry playstation studios now that they've rebranded playstation studios thing that was like oh the last of us and uncharted were such formative things that like now every game that we make has to be kind of in that format um dude god of war is like on a completely different level uh even coming down to like the whole thing being one tracking shot that has no edits or cuts at all you know inspired by like birdman uh the 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 movie with michael right. Keaton. um <laughs> yeah i mean that decision by itself is like hugely ambitious and wild that it works at all but the ways in which they weave norse mythology into the greek mythology stuff is really really shocking and really cool the relationship between kratos and atreus are like absolutely wild and so well written and so well acted some of the stuff they do by way of like when you're on a boat and kratos is telling a story or atreus is telling a story while you're like on your way to a destination and you pull up to a dock and like tie the boat up they like naturally will say like oh we'll pick the story back up later and you can go do like an hour of whatever you know for the story and then come back and get in the boat and they'll just like pick up where they left off and be like what were we talking about before oh yeah i was like halfway into this tale that i was telling you about this norse god or whatever and they like continue it while you're riding the boat back like there are so many things in this game that are at such a high level that I, I have not seen a lot of other games meet even since. It's really an accomplishment. And I think 
the stuff that they're doing thematically in terms of its relationship with the older God of War games is a thing that we'll talk about a lot in the episode. But like, yeah, I, I really appreciate that they don't like force they don't force you to like relive that stuff because Kratos is just kind of dealing with it. Like he he is very silently like kind of mourning his own past and the things that he's done. But every once in a while they do confront you with it and remind you that he is like a he like did terrible things. And I, I, I think that that relationship between like him kind of coming to terms with that and also trying to raise a son are like really, really interesting. Um, the game, the game is great. I can't wait to talk about it. I think it's like one of the best games ever made actually for real. I'm so excited. It's, it's the one time I've had people who listen to the show get mad at me for not having <laughs> played something. Yeah. Like kind of half kidding, but you know, and, and I get it. I mean, like when I learned that a friend hasn't experienced a piece of media that I know will be like part of their soul has, has formed, <laughs> I have to restrain myself from being like, stop what you're doing right now and just experience this. Cause like when people say that to me, I don't play it for four years <laughs> or, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a weird position to put someone in and I really try to avoid it. But every now and then I had to be like, look, I'm not going to tell you to, to do this, but you will be really happy you did. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know that I will be kicking myself for, for having not played it, but also really happy that I'm finally experiencing it. You don't have to. I, you yeah. know, I'm just excited that you're going to play it at all. Like, I think this is one of those yeah. instances where it's just like you took your time with it. Here we are. You're now confronted with Kratos and Atreus and you're going to you're going to grapple with that and have a really good time. I did want to touch on the whole reboot part of it, though, briefly, because I imagine, again, this will be a big conversation for the bonus. But I think it's such yeah. a it's such a really inspired decision to not just retcon the past like Mm -hmm. you know i mean tomb raider was also series going back to Lara croft go that got rebooted and like i think you know it was it was smart to have Lara croft be like a more human character you know and a more like you know she's she's a little bit of a cartoon in in the past and in from what little I played of the reboot, she's made to be, you know, a more relatable hero. And that's cool. And that was a good decision. But I think with God of War, it could have easily just been like, oh, yeah, the, the early 2000s, like Edgelord stuff. That was a phase. Now we're a drama where we've right. evolved past that. But to actually have that be in a weird way, the prequel of this game and yeah. to be like, you know, the character study of Kratos. of so like this is a this is a guy who has, you know, and, and that's that's kind of why I've he always has done all of that. And he needs to think about it while like trying to raise his son to be better than him exactly yeah it it reminds me of some of the better comic books where they have this entire mythology as superheroes especially where it's like oh yeah okay if i I look at the collective history of even mr fantastic like there's so much weird (laughs) stuff that has happened that like what is canon what isn't how does that inform the next story you know, and yeah. I think like if you want a Marvel Comics recommendation, I just finished I just like really just finished like a couple days ago reading uh, the entire Jonathan Hickman lineup from his work on Fantastic Four up through Secret Wars, which really is literally very similar. Like, I know yeah. you just picked Mr. Fantastic kind of as a goof, but like Jonathan Hickman's run of the Fantastic Four up through Secret Wars is a lot of him looking at the history of Reed Richards and being like, this dude was so analytical that he ended up being so cold and like forgot about his own family and like they're Marvel's first family. They're supposed to be the heart of the entire Marvel universe. And I feel like over the course of people writing the Fantastic Four, eventually they got away from that because they started to lean into like Reed Richards needs to be darker and needs to do what he thinks is right, not what's actually right. And that's that's what that whole run is about, is about like him coming to terms with that, uh, which is really cool and weirdly similar now that you say that to <laughs> God of War. I love that. I love when Kratos gets stretchy. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I all need to say I'm really excited to finally play it. It's been on my backlog for forever. And again, I think sometimes bonuses are a nice way to be like, I'm actually going to finally play this. Yes. Uh, and yeah. it's it's great to have this as an outlet. It's also nice to know. I'll, I'll just say on the top, like it's not that long of a video game either. I think it's like at most 30 hours if you do a lot of side oh, cool. stuff. I'm also going to start from the beginning. Like I, I'm so early on and it's been so long that like I might as well just start over. So, yeah. Also, like I, I would say if there's one grievance I have about the game upon replaying it that I didn't really connect with because we didn't have a video game podcast back then. Um, but one, <laughs> one of the things that I, I think is a little bit of a turnoff that takes a little bit of learning is uh, some of the like UI and stats stuff, because there's a lot of like loot and equipment that you can like find out in the world and then upgrade if you have the right materials that you're finding out in the world etc cetera, etc cetera. and like that stuff gets a little bit in the weeds um in a way that i think will be helpful for you to have gone back to the beginning and learn about all of it from scratch because they do layer it on slowly but it does feel daunting when you just jump back in because what i did yeah like i started new game plus because they have it now uh and they didn't the first time i played the game and i was like oh let me do new game plus and start with the infinity gauntlet how funny would that be and then jumped in and like looked at the stat screen and was like there is i don't know what any of this means <laughs> like, it was just like so much shit that i was i just felt like buried under the weight of mechanics so starting from the beginning and having them be like you can have chest armor it's like oh that's easy and then later they're like you can have new wrist guards oh that's cool now you can put a, an enchantment on your chest armor it's like oh that's fun and then eventually you you know expand out into like skill trees and having multiple enchantments and like mixing and matching all the different things to build kratos and atreus the way that you want based on how you're playing the game that stuff is all really cool uh but i appreciate the way it kind of layers it on even like the game starting off as kind of an over-the-shoulder action adventure game that becomes an open world game eventually is really cool like they just continue to to layer mechanics onto that game i think in in ways that are surprising and really fun whenever they do it yeah i think my original playthrough i had just met the dwarf who's a blacksmith oh yeah you're really so, early on yeah yeah <laughs> so i'm just gonna start over yeah uh, but that, i think that he like showed up and it was like you can wear different armor now and that's mm -hmm. like that's all i know yeah so I'm excited to eventually equip croquis and bifocals to uh, <laughs> to Kratos. I will say I started uh, my new run of the game about two days ago. I'm embarrassingly far already, uh, considering <laughs> how much oh, yeah. other stuff I've had to do in my life. Uh, I, I just I can't put this game down again. It's really fun. God of War. Very excited. Uh, so that's going to be next month's bonus, along with Norse mythology on our Patreon. Uh, so if you want to back the Patreon, you'll get that as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, worth mentioning, we're also going to have a guest on that episode. Friend of the show, Brendan Klinkenberg, is going to join, which I'm excited to have two Brendans oh, on yeah. one episode. <laughs> we'll have to find a Steven somewhere eventually. Yeah. Although there might be too many Stevens. Should we find a Steven for that episode also? <laughs> And then they can take the show over eventually and it'll be like God of War. That'll be the, the soft reboot where we acknowledge what came before because you and I are on the episode. But then we hand the show off to new Steven and new Brendan <laughs> and they continue it on and don't make the same mistakes that we did. I like that. I'm the problematic early 2000s Steven uh, yes. in this in this analogy. And I'm, I'm the problematic early 2000s Brendan. <gasps> I forgot what I was going to say. So why don't we wrap up? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for listening. Into the cast.online is our hub for everything. Places to listen to the show, 
If you want to review us on Apple Podcasts, that also helps the show a lot. Uh, our Patreon, uh, which you can find at IntoTheCast.online. We are nearing, slowly but surely, the 2000 a month goal, in which once we hit that, we will do our 3DS special. Uh, we're, we're sort of like low-key preparing for it, which is maybe uh, uh, hubris, but it's games we want to play regardless, so why not? Yeah. Um, but once we hit that, uh, we, will, we will do that bonus. Very excited about that possibility. And thank you to all who are able to back the show. It really helps us out a lot. We recently hit a goal we were able to increase how much we pay AJ. Uh, the show costs a surprisingly large amount of money to make, so all that money really helps us sustain the show and also grow the show. So thank you so much. Otherwise, what's on the horizon? Oh, I recently got a bunch of games. There's a end-of-the-year Capcom sale happening that I think at the time of this episode coming out will still be going on for a couple of days. I got the great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Very excited about that. And I yeah. also got the Mega Man X collection and Devil May Cry 3. So just like a palette of Capcom history. Devil May Cry 3 is on Switch? Yeah, 1, That's 2, and 3 are all on Switch. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never played any of those games. I played the first one for a little bit and, a li- and the opening of 3, mm. and I loved the opening of 3, so I got 3. Uh, and I also, I have 5, which is like the most recent one, I believe. I have that sitting on my PlayStation, and I'll play that eventually. That might also be a Halloween thing, but I that's a series that I feel like I've always just said that I like, but I actually haven't played <laughs> very much of, so yeah. that and Bayonetta are kind of like, you know, companions to each other in terms of the genre. So I'm excited to finally give those a shot. Can I ask you a Goatee-related question? Please do. Do you think... This, this is more for me and less for the show, but uh, I'll, we'll put it on the show anyway, just because I'm curious. In your prep for Goaty, do you think you'll like start a new Elden Ring run? And if you do so, do you think you'll be able to put it down or do you think you'll finish it a second time? Because I'm worried if I start that game again to like play for Goaty, I will be like, oh shit, all I did was play Elden Ring. I... I'm definitely going to make another character. I already have like a build in mind. Mm. Like I have my new game plus file, which is yeah. fun, but I kind of just want to start like a new character from scratch mm. and, and see how that feels. I don't think I'm going to beat it again. Cause honestly, I, I absolutely hate the final boss of that game. So I don't <laughs> think, I, I don't think I'll ever fight them again. But what if your new build was so optimized that, uh, they went down <laughs> so quickly? We'll see. I, uh, there's so much that I haven't <laughs> seen. Cause I, I did have to, sort of beat that game quickly for our bonus about right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Even outside of the bonus, I just felt pretty gripped by what was happening in the main plot. So like, yeah, I just felt as I got further into that game, I felt less of an urge to explore more of an urge to continue. Yeah. I but this that. time I just want to see everything. I miss so much. Like people ask me like, oh, what'd you think of that Moog Lord of Blood fight? I'm like, I don't know what that is. I've never met them. Uh, so <laughs> that fight was fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. So the gold mask stuff too, I keep getting asked about and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Uh, like I know who gold mask is because they're in the opening cutscene of the video game. But outside of that, yeah. I did not meet them and I don't really know a whole lot about them. I do think that game is just overall better the second time you play it just because you have way more context. Like once you know a little bit more about the world, mm. what people are saying to you actually makes sense and is like following a logic. And yeah. it's like, it's fun just to let it like soak it all in. And, and you know, like you really feel like you're visiting this like <laughs> fantastic realm, but it is cool. Like, Oh, that's what you've been talking about this whole time. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not just like early dark souls games where somebody's like, <laughs> Twisted trees make many bees. And you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, if you go left, you'll meet a god. Like, oh, cool. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) See, I I think I'll probably fall back into it, but I don't know if I'm going to like beat it again. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Cool. Who knows? Well, this has been a longer one. 
Thank you for indulging yeah. us, dear listener, while we talk about so many video games. We'll be back next week with even more of them. Can you believe it? See you then. Goodbye. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Mwah, mwah, Bye. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> TWG, the worst garbage, the online.